Hey, this is Eric, and you're listening to the Story Church Podcast. Our podcast features audio from Sunday mornings at Story Church in Peru, Indiana, a community on the mission of connecting people's story to God's story. If you'd like to connect with us further, check out storyperu.com. Our hope is that today's episode helps you take your next step on your faith journey. Hey, really excited that you're here today. Uh, We are, like Daryl said, uh, picking up week three of this series we've been in called The Way of Love. And uh, I've made two disclaimers every week of this series, and I'm going to do it again uh, today as we're talking about love. Uh, One thing, like love is in the title, uh, but this series is not just about romantic relationships. Uh, In fact, we're really aware that Uh, sometimes the church can be guilty of pigeonholing everybody into like one kind of experience of relationships and family and what all that looks like. Uh, But the truth is we're all a lot more diverse than that. And all of us have uh, unique stories and challenges along the way. And so what we're talking about today uh, applies to any relationship status. It it applies to uh, any context actually in our lives where we relate to other people. So that can be in a romantic relationship, certainly, uh, but it can also be at work or with your kids or your friends or your neighborhood. Basically, anytime people bump into other people, there's an opportunity for love or for not so loving. And and so we're trying to learn how to live in the way of love and uh, grow in that way. So everybody's invited to to grow and to learn and to apply uh, these principles and these skills that we're talking about over these five weeks. Uh, The other thing I've really tried to clarify is that I'm not saying I am an expert in the way of love as we're uh, talking about this series. Like I've seen Hitch, I am not Hitch. Okay, that's not what we're doing here together. Um, But instead, what we've been doing over these past few weeks, and we'll continue for the next few, is that we're actually looking to the scriptures for wisdom about what it looks like to actually love and and to connect to one another in a healthy way. And uh, the very title of this series is based out of this letter uh, that a church planter in the first century named Paul wrote to a group of Jesus followers uh, in the region of Ephesus. And here's what Paul said. He instructed them, follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children and walk in, there's the title, the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. So what we're doing uh, throughout these weeks is we're trying to learn some practical skills that help us actually live that way of love, that actually help us follow Jesus's example in terms of how he lived and how he operated in the world. And that's a big deal because when Jesus walked this earth, uh, somebody actually asked him one time, what is the most important commandment? Like God has all these commandments and uh, there's like 600 something odd laws throughout the Old Testament alone. And uh, this, this religious scholar actually, this lawyer asked Jesus, what's the most important? Like what does God ultimately want? And this is Jesus's response. He said, love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment, but the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. And so what that means is Jesus like boiled down all of the complicated rule following, can we do this, can we not do that, uh, religion of his day to this simple principle that ultimately it's about loving God and expressing that love for God in our relationships with people, that we should love God and we should love others. And so what we're doing in this series, again, is trying to give you some of the skills to actually do that well, to look to God for our example of love and then apply that example in all kinds of relational contexts 
along the way because we really believe that emotionally healthy relationships are possible for all of us. And in fact, what we've said is that following God's example, like Paul wrote about, means growing in love for God and love for other people. But the reality is, uh, oftentimes, this has been true of my life, I would be willing to bet it's been true of yours at some point along the way, that often the greatest barrier to our spiritual maturity, to our growing in our relationship with God, is actually our emotional immaturity. That's sometimes one of the greatest barriers, especially when it comes to other people, to us really living out that love that God calls us to, is our emotional immaturity and some of the baggage and the stuff we've picked up along the way in relating to one another. So throughout the series, what we're trying to do is just get really practical and work through some of the day in, day out, how do we love one another well kinds of things. And so uh, we're on week three, but I'll give you a really quick recap uh, in case you weren't with us or you've slept since then. On week one, we introduced the relational skill of clarifying expectations. We said that most conflict that shows up in our relationships is connected somewhere to an unhealthy expectation. We assume something that's not realistic or maybe we expect it, but we haven't talked about it. And so then it's just this guessing game about like, are we gonna get it right today or are we not? And and so to have a healthier approach to our relationships and to our expectations, on week one, we said we need to stop two things and we need to start two things in their place. So we need to stop mind reading. And that's where we just assume we know why somebody's doing what they're doing. And we need to stop making judgments. We need to stop doing that thing that we all do when we assume that somebody else's bad behavior is the result of their bad character, even though our bad behavior has excuses and reasons all along the way. So we said we need to stop those things, and in place of that, we need to start having conversations. Instead of assuming that we know why somebody does what they do, we should have the courage to approach them and talk about it and actually get clarity together. And then we should start clarifying our expectations to become aware that we have expectations and to talk about it and to agree upon them and to move forward uh, in a healthier way. Then last week we talked about icebergs and we said that all of us are kind of like icebergs where there's that part on the surface that we can all see and that we all present to each other on social media and when you go to work and when you go out and all that kind of stuff. But then under the water, there's this deeper part of us and all of us have stuff under the surface. Stuff that we often like to leave unexamined, but we said a healthy skill in learning the way of love is to become self-aware, to actually go there and to dig under the surface and try and become aware of some of the deeper things that we carry with us. And so we said that self-awareness really is about knowing our emotions and our motivations, really understanding not only what we feel, but why we feel the way that we feel. And in fact, at the end of last week, uh, I gave you a really simple, like almost elementary, offensively simple uh, exercise that if you practice it over time can actually help you grow in this self-awareness thing. And that was to simply ask two questions. To ask, how am I feeling right now? And why do I feel this way? To, To work through, like actually putting language to how do I feel right now? And why do I feel that way? And if you do that once, it might help you feel good for a moment, but if you do it consistently over time, what you'll discover is some patterns or some constant themes that keep showing up about the things that upset you or the things that maybe make you really happy and excited. And all along the way, that's helpful information that helps you learn about the you that you are. But uh, at this point, if you've been at Story for any amount of time, or if you're brand new here, uh, I want to let you know that I'm a big fan of a good meme from time to time. So, like, that's actually kind of part of my Sunday afternoon. Like, before students starts up, I do the great Sunday nap after church, but I typically am laying there scrolling through social media semi-mindlessly and laughing at memes. And uh, this week, I actually found this one that leads right into where uh, I want us to go. And uh, you maybe have seen this before. There's different versions of this that goes around. Uh, and I actually learned that this, this picture, this image, has a name. He's called Hide the Pain Harry. 
and he's this cheesy guy who's just like smiling and holding a coffee mug, but like behind it, you know there's more going on. Uh, so anyway, I, I saw this meme this week, and uh, here's what it says at the very beginning. We got, my wife just stopped and said, you weren't even listening, were you? And I thought, that's a pretty weird way to start a conversation, <laughs> right? We've all been there. Like, how many of us are that guy from time to time? I'll confess, like, I am that way more often than I ought to be where it's like, oh, no, you were talking, right? Like, or maybe you've been on the other side of it where you say, are you listening? But you know the answer is you weren't listening, and you're just trying to be like, hey, pay attention. Clue phone is ringing. But th the truth is uh, listening can be difficult. L listening can be hard because most of the time it's flat out more fun to talk than it is to listen. Uh, there's a TV writer named uh, Rob Lezegnik, and uh, he said this about this difference between talking and listening. He said, talking is like drinking a great Cabernet. Listening is like doing squats. <laughs> listening is like reading a corporate report. Talking is like eating a cinnamon bun. And like, if that's the options in front of you, we pick the Cinnabon every time, don't we? Like, talking just feels good. And in fact, if talking is sweet, then talking about yourself is even sweeter. And I saw some research that Harvard University did recently uh, about this idea, kind of about how our brains work, especially in the things that we talk about. And what they discovered in this research is that the same areas of our brain activate when we eat comfort foods, like pizza or fried chicken, uh, that light up when we talk about ourselves. Th that it's the same like, center of your brain that fires up. It's actually the same part of the brain that fires up if you take a hit of cocaine. That's the same part of your brain that lights up when you talk about yourself. So that's some powerful stuff, right? Uh, on average, this study found that m most people's conversations spend about 60% of that conversation talking about themselves. And if you take it online, it jumps to like 80% on social media where we're all showing off our highlight reels time and time again. And, uh, you know, on the one level, that's not all bad, right? I, I, last week we talked about being self-aware and that requires some talking and examining yourself and that stuff that's under the surface. But there's some problems with this reality too because uh, at least there's this, like none of us can find the intimacy that we're looking for, the, the connection with other people, the healthy relationships that we're talking about if it's a one-way conversation all the time. Right? We all have this desire to know other people and to be known by other people, but if we're the only one talking and there's no room for listening, we're going to miss out on the way of love because the way of love requires listening to other people. And even outside of that, uh, there's this dynamic that can happen. I first heard about this principle from a, a mentor and a, and a leader uh, I respect named Andy Stanley. He's a pastor in Atlanta. Uh, but he talked about this principle as it relates to leadership. He said that leaders who refuse to listen will eventually be surrounded by people who have nothing significant to say. And maybe you've experienced that before. Uh, he talks about leadership, but I really think that this principle applies in any relational context. Maybe you've uh, had a boyfriend or a girlfriend and things seemed great at first, but then you realize they didn't value your opinion and they didn't create space for you. And so over time, you just kept it to yourself and you just kind of pressed it down. Maybe you had a work environment where you had some good ideas about how things could be better, but your boss didn't have any room for that. They didn't listen to you. And so eventually you stopped talking about it and you just kept those good ideas to yourself. The reality is in any relationship, if we don't listen to one another, we run the risk of missing out on the contribution that the other person has to make. Right? You have good stuff in you to share, but if you're not listened to, if you're like me, over time, we can keep that stuff to ourselves and just kind of press it down. And then for those of us who are here today, who are trying to take seriously this idea of following Jesus and really going after what God wants for our lives, the reality is listening is a central aspect of what faith is all about. 
In fact, that great commandment that Jesus was talking about that I shared at the very beginning, uh, that we should love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind, that was this uh, famous, repeated uh, piece of scripture and really a prayer uh, that Jewish people shared in the first century called the Shema. And that's what's fun about Hebrew is you just kind of sound like you're spitting all the time. But the Shema was this phrase that God's people repeated to themselves to remind themselves of what is most important. But that word Shema, if it's literally translated into English, it translates to hear or listen. And it's actually the first line of, of these verses that are recorded in Deuteronomy. But it, it says hear uh, oh, people, the Lord your God is one. And then it goes on to say that we should love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind. But it, listening is an essential part of faith. In fact, listening is really how we become followers of Jesus, ultimately. Uh, when Jesus was first calling his disciples, uh, Matthew records it and says, Jesus said, come follow me, and then I'll send you out. So the way that it typically works is, uh, Jesus says, hey, come follow me, right? Hear this call that I have on your life, and then you follow. And that's where many of us start. And then later, Paul, uh, that church planter, wrote a letter to the church in Rome, and he said it in this way. He said that faith actually comes from hearing the message, and, and then the message is heard through the word about Christ. That, that having an actual growing faith starts by hearing about Jesus, Right? It starts about hearing about Christ, that hearing comes before faith. And uh, then James, who also wrote letters to early Christians and tried to explain what faith was all about, uh, gave this instruction. He said, everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. And we're going to come back to that a little later. But it, it's this principle that listening is an essential part of faith. It's at the core of how we ought to operate as Jesus followers. In fact, uh, there's over 1,500 references throughout Scripture to this idea of listening. And whenever something like that is repeated time and time again across multiple authors and multiple generations uh, in this library that we know as the Bible, it means we should pay attention. And one of my favorite uh, references to listening that's recorded is actually recorded in the book of Proverbs, which is this book of wisdom. And Proverbs chapter 17 says this, that the one who has knowledge uses words with restraint, and whoever has understanding is even tempered. Even fools are thought wise if they keep silent and discerning if they hold their tongues. Or in other words, uh, even if I have no idea what's going on, if you just stay quiet, people might think you know more than you actually know. Like, I, like I love that principle and just how, I don't know, gives me a free pass to be ignorant, I guess. But uh, the truth is that word discerning that's in there, this idea of, of being discerning if you hold your tongue, uh, it actually translates, or another meaning in English, is to be caring. That, that holding your tongue or listening is actually directly connected to loving and to caring along the way. But for many of us, somewhere along the line, we forget this. And so before uh, I get into the meat of my monologue on listening to you today, uh, I think it could help us if we actually uh, get an idea of how good we are at this skill. So we're going to get a little interactive for a moment, okay? Who doesn't love a pop quiz on a Sunday morning? Uh, we're going to do a little listening pop quiz. And uh, the best way for you to engage in this is if you have your phone on, you go ahead and pull it out. It's okay to do in church. Uh, this is not going to take long, I promise. Uh, but the easiest way to pull up this pop quiz, which all of your results will be kept private and confidential, okay? We're not going to shame you for uh, however you do on this quiz. Uh, but if you visit love.storyperu.com, or if you have our Church Center app, you'll see there's a button at the top of it when you log in uh, that says take the listening quiz. It's going to be 10 questions. They're true or false. And if you're not like 
a phone person or don't want to do that right now, um, I will actually run through these questions really quick and you can just kind of keep a mental tally in your head. But feel free if you've got your phone out, like go at your own pace and work through it. But we're going to go through these 10 questions and you get a point for every answer that you consider is true. Okay, but that's not a reason to lie and make all of them true. So be honest with yourself. Uh, and here's question number one. It says, my close friends would describe me as a responsive listener. Is that true for you or, or not? Uh, number two is when people are upset with me, I'm able to listen to them without being defensive. That's a hard one, right? Especially in church. But is it true or, or, or false of you? Number three, I listen not only to the words people say, but also to the feelings behind their words and their body language. Uh, this is the thing where if somebody says, it's fine, like are you able to tell if it's really fine or not? Because <laughs> normally it's not. But anyway, is that true or false of you? Are you able to listen uh, to body language and tone and that kind of stuff? Number four, I have little interest in judging other people or quickly giving my opinion. It should be true for all of us because on week one of the series, we talked about how we need to stop judging and I know you're good listeners, so that could be true, but it's okay if it's false, do whatever. Uh, number five, I'm able to validate another person's feelings with empathy. Are you able to put yourself in, in other people's shoes, true or false? Number six, I'm aware of my defensive mechanisms in stressful conversations. For example, uh, appeasing or ignoring or blaming or distracting or name calling or whatever it may be for you. Uh, true or false. Number seven, I'm deeply aware of how the family I was raised in has shaped my present listening style. It's all your fault, mom. She's not here. It's okay. But uh, true or false. Uh, number eight, I ask for clarification when listening rather than filling in the blanks or making assumptions. Again, we kind of talked about that a few weeks ago. Number nine, I don't interrupt to get my point across when someone's speaking, right? That thing where we're just like waiting to talk instead of actually listening. Uh, and then our final question, number 10, I give people my undivided attention when they're talking to me. Are you able to really focus and hone in? So all those true or false, you get a point uh, if it's true. And so just take a second. How'd you do? Tally it all up. If you're doing it on your phone, it like kicks you back your results already. But uh, here's, here's our scale that we're measuring with, okay? So if you got eight to 10 of those right, uh, congratulations. You're an outstanding listener, digital high five, or if you want a real one, come find me later. Uh, six to seven, that's not bad, right? You're a good listener. You're making mama proud. Way to go. Uh, four to five, still not too shabby. Like that's half-ish, right? Not too bad. And uh, if you got three or less, you picked the right weekend to join us uh, because what we're going to do together uh, is we're actually going to talk about this skill of listening and how we can actually grow. And, and the truth is, whether you are like a one or less, uh, or if you like ace the test, all of us can grow as it relates to our, uh, our practice of listening to one another. And, and what I want to talk about today, uh, the way that I framed this skill might sound kind of weird to you at first, but we're talking about it in the terms of practicing incarnational listening. And if you're like, what does that mean? Is that a flower or something? Uh, we're going to talk about it. It's actually a, a really big uh, concept about God that runs through the heart of what our faith is all about. And, and as it relates to listening, it can be really important in how we practice uh, this relational skill. But before we keep going, um, I have to confess that like this is an area of my life that I can kind of struggle with. Like I'm wearing a microphone and I'm kind of a professional talker. And so I'm good at that side of the equation. Sometimes listening doesn't come as naturally to me, which is kind of dangerous when you're a pastor. Like that's kind of an important part of the job too. But this is something that I'm not the expert in, that I'm constantly trying to grow in myself. And so it's okay wherever you're at along the way. And uh, if I'm bad at listening, I think I've realized in this phase of my parenting journey 
that my three-year-old is even a little worse than me uh, because the constant daily conversation in my house, I actually almost took a video of this. Uh, we were at the mall uh, just yesterday in Kokomo and uh, my daughter was wandering through the toy aisle at Target, which is her dream land to be at. In fact, she saw Target from down the mall and she goes, that's my favorite store, Target. So I'm raising a little basic white girl. But anyway, we walked in there and, and she took me uh, to the toy aisle. We were walking around and, and I, it was time for us to go. And I stood there for like minutes going, Eden, 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 which is her name. And, and she's just like zoned out doing her own thing. Like I know she could hear me, but she wasn't doing anything. And like I said, this is like a daily reality for me where I'm like, hey, are you listening to me? I'm your father, like that's going to do something. But like it just, it can get so charged up. And uh, if you've ever, like if you're a little farther along in the parenting journey, you're probably like, yeah, buddy, it doesn't get better. But uh, if you've ever been in that moment, you know how frustrating that can feel, don't you? Like when you just want to be heard and you're not like even trying to do something unreasonable. It's like, hey, we're going to go get ice cream, but listen to me. Like we have to go, we have to get in the car, we got to do the thing. It's snowy out, put on your boots, whatever. Like it's so frustrating when we want to be heard and we feel like we're being ignored. Or maybe you've been on the other side of the equation and you're like zoned out and you didn't mean to, but it creates this tension between us. And the tension comes from the fact that all of us long to be heard, right? All of us long to be known and to be connected. And in fact, right now, like maybe a gut check moment, I want you to take a moment and think about somebody in your life, whether it's at work or in your family, maybe a significant relationship or one of your friends, who is somebody that if you were honest, probably wishes you would listen a little better? Like who is in your life who might be longing for you to listen to them a little better and think about their name or, or picture their face in your mind. And we're gonna come back to that a, a little bit later. Uh, but the other sad reality is sometimes I think Christians can be the worst at this. Right? Sometimes the church can be the worst at practicing uh, this idea of listening. Like, when is the last time somebody, when talking about Christians or talking about faith, said to you, like, man, let me tell you about those Christians. They are a lot of things, but one thing they are is fantastic listeners, right? Like, they're just so good. I've never seen a group of people who are more sincerely interested in me and my worldview and uh, people who are just curious and ask so many questions, people who don't have a point to get across, but they just want to hear me. Yeah, that's not what people think about us right now. Culturally, a lot of people think that we're people who think we have all the answers. And, and so we just want to talk, right? We just want to tell. And again, part of our faith is carrying a message. It's, it's telling. So that's not all bad. But the truth is people are desperate to be heard in our world. People are desperate to be known and to be seen. And, and so listening, I believe, isn't just a skill that we can grow in that helps our personal relationships, but it's actually a skill that's an essential part of being a follower of Jesus. And, and it's a skill that if we learn to practice it as the church, can actually help us join Jesus in his work of healing the world and restoring things to the way that they ought to be when we learn to see each other and know each other. So the stakes are high, and uh, I was reminded of this listening to a podcast this week. Uh, it's called This American Life. If you've never heard of it before, it's a great one to check out. It's just kind of stories, uh, a lot of the times kind of grouped around a topic, but uh, they just do a great job telling and capturing stories. And uh, this one story that they were talking about was about a New York City couple named Liz Berry and Bill Wetzel. And what they decided to do is they wanted to get to know their neighborhood a little better uh, in New York City. And, and so they decided like they were kind of isolated from people. They wanted to get more connected. And, and so they did this crazy thing and they made a sign that simply said, talk to me. And, and then they decided they were going to go outside and they were just going to wait 
So like 12 hours a day, they stood out there in their neighborhood. I don't know what they did for a living, but apparently talked to people. Uh, they had this sign and they just waited. And whoever came up, they let them say whatever they had to say. They would just sit there and listen. And the responses that they got were unreal. Uh, over the few months that they did this, they met hundreds of people who were totally willing to come up and talk to these complete strangers and oftentimes share really deep personal details of their stories just because they would listen. They met a police officer uh, who shared about a girlfriend that he had for about six weeks, but they had just broken up. Uh, she dumped him and was actually getting engaged to another guy. And so this guy walks up and, and tells his story. Uh, there was a lady who was ticked off at a teacher for hitting her son which I'm like, yeah, understatement, right? But, but that was kind of a crazy story. I liked this one. There was a matchmaking optometrist, because why not, who was like bragging on the couple that he had put together in his office. And then at the end of one of their days, there was this one story that, that really stood out. It was a man uh, who came up and started talking to them and actually ended up talking to them for over three hours standing there sharing about details of his life. And uh, he talked about how his heart was broken over a girlfriend that he lost and he knew he couldn't get back. Uh, he was a veteran, so he talked about the war and some of the things he carried uh, from that experience in his life. And uh, eventually he got so honest that he told these complete strangers that he had struggled with thoughts of suicide and, and actually wanted to hurt himself just a few years earlier. And, and it's kind of crazy to think, right? This simple practice of holding a sign that says, talk to me, led to some of these meaningful connections. But do you know why I think that happened? It's because we all long to know one another and to be known. We all want someone we can talk to, someone who will listen to us without judgment, someone who will accept us. And often it's our failure to listen that keeps us apart, that creates distance between us. But if we can listen incarnationally, we can actually be the ones who help bridge that gap. We can be the people who help create connection rather than separation between us. And maybe as I'm talking about this, you're like, okay, I get it, listening, it's a good thing. Like, I learned it when I was three, too. But what is the incarnational thing? Like, what does that mean? It's uh, more than just a four-syllable word, and it has nothing to do with flowers. But incarnation is actually the central idea uh, tied to the story of Jesus and what it means for Jesus to have been both fully God and fully human. Uh, see, when Jesus entered the world, uh, he actually became God incarnate, or in other words, God in the flesh, God with a body. And uh, the apostle John, who knew Jesus personally uh, and later reflected on uh, just an account of Jesus's life, he actually starts out this account uh, with a poem about this whole dynamic of the incarnation. And he says this, he says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning, and through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that's been made. And I know that's a little like Yoda talkie, like what is he talking about? But when he talks about the word, it's actually a Greek word, logos, which was a really popular philosophical idea in that time, that there's this order to the world, this reason, this uh, ordering force in the world. And what John is kind of creatively doing is he's saying that force is Jesus. That Jesus, being God fully, was actually present. He is the eternal pre-existent word of God operating through all time. He was there at the very beginning. And so often when we think of Jesus, right, we think of Christmas and we think of the baby in the manger. But what John is saying is that before Jesus became incarnate in the flesh, he actually existed with God from the very beginning. And I know that sounds like kind of cosmic and trippy and out there, but the idea is that Jesus is fully God 
And in fact, that's why John's poem sounds a little like the very beginning of the Bible itself, the creation story, which says this in Genesis 1-1, that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So John is saying Jesus is fully God. Jesus was fully present for all of that, and everything was made in him, everything holds together through him. And yet, this crazy reality happened called the incarnation. It's what we celebrate at Christmas time when God literally became flesh and became one of us. He chose to enter our world. And John uh, says it this way throughout his poem. He says, the word, Jesus, became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. We saw the glory with our own eyes, the one-of-a-kind glory like father, like son, generous inside and out, true from start to finish. I mean, think about that. Like the all-powerful creator God left the throne of heaven and moved into the neighborhood. He drew near to us. He became one of us in the person of Jesus. And that's the powerful idea of incarnation. In fact, if you're here today, and maybe you have a a picture of God in your mind, maybe even a church or or a leader or a Christian along the way gave you this idea that God is distant, that God's far from you or he's removed, or maybe he wants nothing to do with you, the incarnation tells us the exact opposite is true, that God draws near to us, that he moved into the neighborhood, that he became one of us and he can understand us because of that. Jesus identifies with what it's like to be a human. And we talked about this last week, that Jesus actually experienced every emotion that you and I experience along the way. He experienced joy and he experienced sorrow. He experienced anger and he experienced gratitude, all of it. And the incarnation is what makes Jesus relatable to us, right? We can relate to Jesus. He shows us what God is like and he knows what it's like to be us. Jesus was God in the flesh. And and so now when I'm talking about incarnational listening, it's not the same thing as that event of the incarnation that we talk about at Christmas. But what I love to do with the rest of our time together is actually look at these four aspects of Jesus's incarnation, Jesus arriving into this world that can actually help us as we try and practice listening in a healthier way. And so the first thing I want you to see about the incarnation, about this really big idea, is that Jesus left his world, right? Jesus, like pre-incarnate, like cosmos, God created all things. He was there for all of it. He left that world where he could have very well stayed. I mean, he was God, but he chose to give up all of his rights and his privileges that he had in order to become one of us. It's this incredibly selfless act Jesus did where he gave up what was rightly his to identify with you and to identify with me. And here's how it's recorded in scripture. Uh, There's another letter that Paul wrote to the church in the region of Philippi. And uh, he was instructing them about how to live, but he said it in this way. He said, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but rather in humility value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. And then here he spells it out. He says, Jesus, who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage, but rather he made himself nothing by taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death, on the cross. See, Jesus left his world. All all that glory and and, and everything we were singing about earlier, the bigness of God, Jesus chose to leave that to become human, like you and me. And, And when it comes to listening for us, we also have to leave our world to be able to actually connect with somebody in a meaningful way, to be present to someone 
in a meaningful way. We have to leave the comfort of our own thoughts and opinions in order to open ourselves up to another person. And leaving our world begins with just what Paul said, taking ourselves off and putting our attention on someone else. The truth is, people, whatever context, people are offering these emotional bids for connection all the time. But for many of us, we're so busy living in our world and our own stuff and our own opinions and our own thoughts that we miss those connections. And so incarnational listening starts when we leave our world. But it doesn't stop there because Jesus didn't just leave his world, but Jesus entered into ours. Jesus entered into our world by experiencing everything that it means to be a human. He came close enough to listen. He, he spent time with his followers. I mean, they literally like lived together and traveled together for the better part of three years. He shared his life with them. And, and something else that's really powerful about Jesus, if you read the accounts of his life, is he was always fully present in the moment. Sometimes it even messed with people because he didn't live up to their expectations because he was so present in the moment. Uh, last week, we talked about uh, the story of Lazarus, a friend of Jesus who got very sick and uh, Jesus heard about this and Lazarus' sisters wanted Jesus to come help and do something. And Jesus made his way there, but he did it on his own time and at his own pace. And so he arrived two days too late and Lazarus had already passed away and on and on the story goes. But Jesus was present in the moment. He did where he felt God was leading him to every single time and he allowed himself to be interrupted at the same time, to be fully present to the people around him. And I love the way uh, author and journalist Krista Tippett talks about this idea of listening. Uh, she says, listening is about being present, not just being quiet. So it's one thing to leave your world, right? To not just let your thoughts and your opinions dominate a relationship. But the truth is we have to go to the next step and we need to enter into the world of somebody else. We need to be really present with them. And when we're not present, it makes it difficult to truly listen in a meaningful way. This is a simple illustration, but like right now, you can listen to me because I've got this microphone on, right? That's amplifying everything that I'm saying and you can hear it. If I weren't present with you right now, it would be the effect if my microphone was like this, right? And like some of you front row can maybe hear it. Back row, you've probably got nothing up there, right? <laughs> or maybe just like a faint sound. That's what it's like when we don't really show up for one another. When we don't actually uh, take the next step and get connected with the people. See, Jesus was present. He left his world, but then he entered our world, and we can do this too by listening. And, and so really quick, like some practical ways that we can step into the world of the people we're trying to relate to uh, is this, we can actually give the people who are speaking our full attention. That felt like a really passive-aggressive pastor dig right now. That's not what I'm saying. But like seriously, when you're sitting across the table from somebody or in a meeting or, or any context, like take your eyes off this thing, right? And, and like, Make eye contact. That communicates, I hear you, I see you, I'm with you. Nod along if you hear them and you understand. Like, communicate that this person has your attention uh, when they're talking to you because it actually communicates value and it helps you enter their world and them share with you along the way. You can actually step into the person who's speaking shoes and empathize with what they're feeling. Like you're a human and they're a human, and it's okay for you guys to feel things together, to like actually go into that space. In fact, I don't have time to nerd out about this as much as I really want to, but there's this thing in the whole world of like our brain science and, and how we're made up uh, called mirror neurons. And, and what mirror neurons are is like, it, it, when people have emotionally intense experiences together, their brain chemistry actually kind of like rewires where the neurons in their brain mirror each other. 
So it's like not only are they emotionally having the same experience, but like physiologically, we can be that connected to one another when we choose to empathize and we step in uh, to the other person's world. And another thing that we can do, I mean, it's kind of a broken record topic through these relationships, uh, this series, you can stop judging and interpreting other people's words and, and the things that they're saying before they're done speaking, right? Resist the urge to come to a conclusion before the speaker is done speaking and just listen and receive. Don't do the thing where you're sitting there rehearsing your response before they're done talking, right? We've all done that. And in fact, James, uh, who wrote the letter we looked at earlier, his wisdom is such a helpful reminder here. He says, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everybody should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. So like when you're listening to someone, be quick to listen Right? Quick to lean in, quick to enter their world, and slow to try and enter your opinions. Try and interject. <laughs> slow to get angry. Right? We could all use a little bit of that along the way. Being quick to listen puts us in a better position to actually understand what the other person is saying. So Jesus left his world, and we can leave ours too, and he entered into ours, and we can enter into other people's world too. Uh, but Another principle that we see from Jesus's incarnation that can help us as it relates to listening is Jesus remained himself as he walked this earth. And maybe you've never thought about that, but like Jesus in this mysterious way, when he became one of us and he moved into the neighborhood and all that good stuff, he didn't stop being God. He didn't stop being fully God. He held on to his divine status. Scripture tells us he was tempted, but he didn't sin. That he remained in this mysterious way, fully God, and fully man at the same time. And so for him to be present to us didn't require him to compromise on who he is. And so often, don't we think that's what listening requires of us? That if we're trying to listen or engage with somebody who has different values or a different perspective than us, we think, well, that means I have to like let go of my position or my opinion or my view, or, or it's gonna get challenged along the way. But the truth is that we don't have to compromise in order to connect. That, that we don't have to lessen our values or our opinions in order to listen and receive and engage with somebody else's. And in our highly divisive and polarized world, often we can be quick to dismiss people who don't think the same way that we do, right? We can be quick to keep them at a distance because it's easier to argue instead of to actually listen and seek to understand. But when we do this, we're missing an opportunity to love. We're missing the call that God puts on our life as Jesus followers. When we just push people who are different from us away and keep them at a safe distance, we're missing out on this call to be incarnate, to be present with the people God puts in our lives. And so ultimately, we're missing an opportunity to love people well. And this final thought about Jesus and the way that he entered into our world, I think, reveals this again. Because Jesus lived in two worlds, right? Jesus was this mysterious connection of God and man, of heaven and earth, and he lived in the tension of that constantly. He lived in the tension of this world and the world that's yet to come, the next world. And he often would remind his followers of the reality that this life is temporary, that this world is temporary, but at the same time, in the midst of that, he didn't devalue the importance of a moment. He, he didn't lessen the important things that we go through in this life. And so when we listen, we can do that too. We can live in the tension between two worlds, the world of your opinions and your thoughts and the world of the person on the other side of you. You can actually view that tension not as a problem to be solved, but simply a tension to hold, a tension to manage between uh, differing political perspectives, right? Wouldn't that be remarkable if we could actually view the world differently without demonizing one another, 
if we could actually hear each other and engage in ideas instead of just attacking one another. We can have differing marriage or family perspectives, and it's okay to bring that to the table and not try and resolve it, not try and solve it, but just engage with one another, create space for it. We can have differing theological perspectives, right? Churches don't have to be like at each other's throats and be competing with one another. We can actually create space for that. And in fact, here at Story, like that's something uh, that I'm really committed to for us and uh, a phrase I've described uh, to a few people along the way is I say that I want us to be a church that has a big tent, not like literally, it's actually a pretty small tent if you're thinking of the, great, the green tent. Uh, but what I mean by that is like if you think of a tent, there's like tent poles, right? There's the things that are fixed. And, and so I'm not saying it's all squishy and none of it matters. Like there are things that we believe and, and things that are essential for us to believe. But then there's like the fabric part that like ebbs and flows and squishes. And, and I want us to be a community that creates space for that that creates space for us to agree on things and also to disagree on things, for us to bring questions and doubts and diversity to the table because God made all of it and he invites all of us to present our whole selves to him. And so what if uh, for us, in whatever relational context it is, what if you began to live in the tension instead of avoiding the tension? What if you were willing to live in these two worlds and we began to see the tension as an opportunity to love instead of a problem to resist? I think if we listen incarnationally in the way of Jesus and we prioritize people, then we'll discover uh, this idea that theologian Paul Tillich put so well. He says that the first duty of love is to listen. That if we really want to practice the way of love, it starts with listening to one another, with leaving our world, entering the other person's, not compromising ourselves, but creating space for the tension between us along the way. Now, really quickly as we wrap up, I want you to think of that person that you thought of before, right? The one who maybe you ought to listen to a little better, who if they were honest, they would say like, yeah, I would love to be a little more heard by you. Uh, here's what I want you to do uh, throughout this next week. Ask that question and, and reflect on like, who do you need to be listening to? Who do you need to be listening to in this kind of way, that incarnational kind of way? Maybe it's an individual, maybe it's a group of people, right? Maybe it's people who believe a certain thing or hold a certain position. As I was reflecting on this this week, I feel like God challenged me uh, to listen more to people who think different than me, especially in the church world. Because again, it can be really easy for me to be like, I've got my little movie theater thing that we're doing and people already think we're a cult, so that's fine. Uh, but like to just keep my distance from other pastors, other leaders, whether it's in this community or even throughout the country, like it can be easy to keep a distance and to be comfortable in my own opinions and views instead of opening the door to relationship and growth and viewing a different perspective. And so I felt convicted in that way. Uh, maybe for you it's something different, but for all of us, who is that person in your life or that group of people? And once you've identified it, what if you had the courage this week to leave your world and enter theirs by inviting them to coffee and just listening, right? By, by just like reaching out to them, maybe have them over for dinner or just pick up the phone and call them or whatever it could be. Like make, make the first move and invite them into your world because that's exactly what Jesus did for you. He left his world to enter into yours and to invite you to know him and be known by him. And that's exactly what he calls us to do as it relates to the skill of listening to one another incarnationally. Uh, to wrap up, I love uh, what David Osberger said about this idea of how listening and loving are actually directly connected. He said, being heard is so close to being loved that for the average person, they're almost indistinguishable. 
And so if there's someone in your life that maybe it's hard to love, right? Maybe they would be the person saying, yeah, I wish I was listened to a little better. Often the first act of love is listening. The first step you could take is creating space for them and being willing to be present to them, even in the tension and even in the differences and disagreements that may exist. So let me pray for you to that end. God, this is another one of those topics as it relates to how we connect to one another that seems so obvious and seems so simple. I mean, many of us learned it when we were three years old, uh, but some of us, really all of us, still struggle with it in different ways. And and so, God, I just want to thank you uh, for that foundational truth of the incarnation, that you became one of us, that you're not distant from us, that you drew near to us, and you drew near to us even when we were a total mess. We didn't have to clean up our act before you approached us. And so, God, in light of that, in the relationships in our lives, I pray that we would reflect that same heart to other people, that we wouldn't expect the people around us to get it right before we view them as valuable, before we give them dignity, and before we make ourselves present to them. So God, in whatever context it may be, help all of us to leave our world, to not make our thoughts and our opinions the most important thing, uh, but to actually enter into the world of somebody else, to hear about their perspective and their experience. Help us know that we don't have to compromise our values to do that, but instead that we can actually hold this tension uh, together and that in holding that tension, we actually create the opportunity for love to grow. And God, that's what we want. We want to be loving like you're loving, and we want to reflect your heart to this community uh, in the way that we live our lives. So lead us in doing so this week. We pray all of that in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, once again, thanks for listening. If you live in or near the Peru, Indiana area, we would love for you to engage with us at one of our weekend gatherings. To find directions, service times, and information about our environments for kids, visit us at storyperu.com.